Welcome to the Maritime Podcast. You are listening to Gary Howard, Europe Editor of Sea Trade Maritime News. Today we have an in-focus episode looking at Shell's work and ambitions in the arena of maritime decarbonisation. I'll be speaking with Melissa Williams, VP Marine Sectors and Decarbonisation at Shell. Melissa walks me through Shell's views on the path zero carbon future, the fuels the maritime industry will need, and who we need to work with to make our ambitions a reality. I start by asking Melissa to introduce herself and explain her role at Shell. Well, my name is Melissa Williams. I am originally from New Orleans, Louisiana. I am based in Houston. I am a mechanical engineer by background with an MBA. I have lots of manufacturing experience. So I started off manufacturing Tylenol, moved to NASA as a flight controller, been with Shell over 20 years, primarily in the manufacturing, rotating equipment, the docks, the environmental treater, the lubricants plant, supply chain, trading, and now I'm here. I did work on IMO 2020. So I have gone through one transition, but I'm sure that's child's play compared to what we're seeing in the decarbonization space now. An incredibly varied career, but I think that must put a lot of strings to your bow. Perhaps you could put into context for our listeners where your department falls within the larger Shell group. Yeah, before I speak on my department, I think it's good to just understand Shell's ambition to be a net zero emission energy business by 2050. So at Shell, we believe that the path to decarbonize, it varies by sector. So what works for aviation and maybe road transport may not be viable for shipping. So Shell has created a department to drive the decarbonization agenda and roadmap by sector. And I lead the marine sectors and decarbonization team. And there we use a customer back approach to provide the marine solutions that help our customers as well as members of the marine ecosystem. And when I say ecosystem, I mean ports, OEMs, operators, et cetera. And what we do is collaborate to co-create paths to decarbonize and provide integrated solutions. And the way we do these integrated solutions is we work across Shell's value chain. We know Shell has many departments, but we work across that value chain to develop a suite of solutions to help our customers manage what we're finding is very complex, operational efficiency, reliable, and the goal is to lower the total cost of ownership. It's interesting that you mentioned these other teams in aviation and road transport as well, because I think what sort of What's led to this interview was a press release between you guys and CMA CGM, Mm -hmm. where actually the LNG supply is starting with the marine side and then with an ambition to move into those other industries further down the line, which isn't often the way around that we see it in the maritime industry, if I'm honest. So let's talk a little about maritime within Shell's decarbonisation plans. Okay. Um, I think one thing we often don't get a sense of within the industry is how we fall into what is a much bigger picture, right? It's not just us in the maritime industry looking to cut our carbon emissions and our impact on the planet. It's everyone else at the same time. And we have our own requirements of needing quite power-dense fuels and and quite a lot of it. How do the, the sort of volumes and the solutions that we require, does that make the job more difficult for the maritime sector or easier? Yeah. So that's a very interesting question with lots of tentacles, because first part of your question, you asked how significant is the maritime industry, specifically within Shell? I would say it's significant enough that a department was created to focus on it, right? So maritime is very important. And we also know that the shipping industry connects the world. 
So it will touch everything. So as far as difficulty in meeting the volumes and solutions, we all know that marine is considered a hard to abate sector. Well, why is that? Well, one, a zero carbon fuel is not readily available. We have assets that have long life cycles. We require new infrastructure to support bunker fuel supply. Um, we may need new fuel at scale with lower carbon options, which means that means the suppliers have to produce something different. Oh, we didn't talk about regulations. So we need that to provide strong and stable incentive for the industry to decarbonize. And we need a global policy regime that allows us to drive the change that we want to see because it maintains a, a, a pretty much even playing level field, right? So at Shell, we're confident in delivering effective solutions to drive the energy transition. And I know the regulatory landscape is ambiguous now, and it leaves many operators unsure of what steps to take next in their decarbonization journey, because it's not entirely clear what kind of flexibility needs to be built in today's vessels to meet tomorrow's demands. Yeah, and actually in my list of questions, I've barely touched on regulation. Does Shell have a position on things progressing through the EU at the moment, perhaps in the European Commission, which obviously threatens to not necessarily undermine, but perhaps in the short term undermine the global approach to regulating global emissions from shipping? Yeah, I think I'll just briefly touch on this. This is not, you know, one of the core things, but in shipping, I really stay connected with this. We do support policy and we believe that the EU Fit for 55 is a start to see if this could work, right? And so it's really important that we all participate and provide some insight into that because without the regulations, this global playing field, it's only going to be set with those who believe in the decarbonization and want to move forward. But if there's no one to receive it or to pay for it or to fund it to provide this evil playing field, we're not going to meet our targets. So we, we support policy. Excellent. Thank you. Now, we see within the maritime industry, there's a sort of tremendous drive towards improving efficiency as really a first step in reducing emissions. Is there a sort of inherent conflict there for a company like Shell, who perhaps is looking to sell more fuel? Great question, Gary. I think we need to understand the strategy. So Shell's strategy is to become a net zero emission business by 2050. Our mission is to power progress together by providing more and cleaner energy solutions to our customers. And guess what? Driving efficiency is vital for unlocking those future fuels. So that is in our strategy. So we need to reduce fuel consumption to overcome the energy density challenge associated with these hydrogen derived fuels. So therefore, it is a key component of our strategy. So no conflict there. And then looking at things like hydrogen derived fuels and perhaps even the rest of them, but we have a real chicken and egg situation that people bring up quite often around supply and demand for this fuels. I wonder how Shell is approaching that issue. The chicken and the egg. Yeah, that was pretty common last year. So Shell is here to help solve problems, right? We're here to assist our ship owners and we want to meet them where they are because people are in different parts of the journey, right? And bring them along the decarbonization journey. So how do we do that? Well, includes technical information, break it down for the customer, translate it into actionable steps, but we also learn from them to understand their pain points. We're not here to tell them our view. We're here to also learn from them. We are a customer-backed business and we want to scale customer demand for lower carbon alternatives. 
So that's how we are dressing. And one of the things that we're doing is when you do this customer back approach, you now have an integrated solution that you can advocate to the policymakers that not only benefit one part of the ecosystem, but you've included others along that journey and it help the policymakers and their their plot going forward. That makes sense rather than all separately going to policymakers with your own interests, whether it be as as ship owners or fuel providers or the rest. I think again there's broad agreement within the sector that we're having a, a multi-fuel future on the way. Could you just run down the sort of front runner technologies from Shell's point of view and perhaps the the applications they might have or sectors they might serve? Yeah, I think what is driving the multi-field picture is shipping contributes about 3% of the global CO2 emissions, and we currently rely overwhelmingly on distillates and residual fuels. So we can't wait for zero emission fuels to emerge as there's uncertainties around how long it would take for them to be at scale. So based on this, we believe there is no one fuel technology or solution that will single-handedly address the challenges that we're facing in shipping to decarbonize all segments. And when I say segments, I mean containers, dry bulks, tankers, et cetera. So while we would love a one-size-fit-all solution, and we know it's preferred, we just got to be pragmatic. There are, in fact, benefits to having options. So we can't wait for that perfect solution. And by favoring viable over the perfect solution, we can help prioritize immediate action. So what Shell is doing to approach this is looking at solutions in three ways, avoid, reduce, and compensate. So you asked about you know, the technology. So we look at that as avoid, which focuses on developing and implementing energy efficiency technologies that have and will continue to improve the efficiency of our global fleets. So looking at analysis, public analysis that is available, industry data suggests that CO2 intensity improvement in the global fleet between 2008 and 2018 was in the range of about 20 to 40 percent. And this has been achieved by things such as introduction of lower, larger ships or improved hull and onboard mechanical design or introduction of digital technologies that allow for better trim and improve management of operations such as ship speed, port scheduling, retirement of older and less efficient vessels. And Shell Research has also found that if widely used existing energy efficiency technologies such as air lubrication, and Shell has a system called JAWS technology, which is a hydrodynamic optimization tool, wind technologies, improved hull coatings, could further reduce emissions by up to 25% when compared to today's leading designs. And these partner with things such as lubricants can considerably improve energy efficiency. Marine lubricants reduces friction and consistently wear and tear, therefore extending the life of the engines and vessels and reduces the ship environmental impact. And we also have a shell lube monitor, which helps our customers lower emissions by reducing the consumption of lubricants through operational efficiency measures and technical services. I suppose at the bottom of that as well, there's much greater awareness of the green issues that we're facing, but also it became quite apparent that energy efficiency made sense financially as well. Mm -hmm. And you expect that to be even more so the case going forward into future fuels that may start off being slightly more expensive or may forever be more expensive than distillates. 
Yes. So that is the next part of our three prong strategy, pillar strategy. And that's what we call reduce. Right. So we're focusing on using lower carbon fuels that are available today. Right. Which is LNG and biofuels and their evolution towards zero carbon. In the meantime, I know LNG may not be the favorite. It is a fossil derived fuel today, but it's the cleanest fuel currently available to shipping at scale. It helps lower emissions today, just like biofuels help lower emissions today. But it's a fuel in transition. It's starting with the fossil derived fuel is being developed into a green hydrogen based fuel called ELNG. And we have an intermediate step called bio LNG. It is currently achieving reductions of up to 20 to 21 percent when compared to conventional fuels. And when compared to heavy fuel oil, LNG reduces greenhouse gas emissions by up to 23 percent well to wake and significantly reduces nitrogen oxides, particulate matter, sulfur oxides. And when you look at the refueling infrastructure, it's at more than 96 ports worldwide and it's continuing to grow. So a ship using a high efficiency LNG fuel cell and EET will reduce greenhouse emissions by up to 80 percent when compared to 2008. So definitely is something we need to look at. Right. There's also other things to consider. So the last category is something you just want to use when there's you've exhausted the other two, and that's compensate. So while we're developing these technical solutions to avoid and reduce emissions, the use of high quality carbon credits for nature based projects such as planting and protecting trees, they should be considered as we go through this transition to net zero. We need robust rules and criteria on the use of these carbon credits, and they should be integrated into national and global policy regime to ensure that the incentive to invest and efficiency measures and lower carbon technologies is maintained. So all possible options to reduce the environmental impact must be considered as viable pathways, but avoid and reduce will have more significant impact on the decarbonization pathway. If you're enjoying listening, make sure you never miss an episode of the Maritime Podcast by subscribing on the app of your choice. You touched on LNG there and its development from grey to blue to green and whichever other colours might be in between. We've seen quite a few studies into the use of LNG, whether it be on onboard vessels or the carbon impact of the infrastructure that's already in place and the carbon impact of replacing that infrastructure for a for a different fuel. Is there a, a clear picture as far as Shell is concerned as to the impact of LNG things like methane slip and the like, a clear understanding of the impact that it has on the planet now and how that will reduce going forwards? So that is where these partnerships come in play. We do have, I mean, if you look over the last two to three years, we have seen significant reduction in methane slip with technologies improving over time. And I would say I cannot predict the future, but we can say we are improving. We are seeing improvements and we are learning more. And that's why these collaborations and partnerships are so important because we can grow and learn together. Yeah, I found one study particularly interesting where uh, they discovered that methane slip was so high just because the engines hadn't been loaded enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the loading of the engines was, uh, was integral to, to reducing the, the methane slip. Again, you mentioned biofuels, and this is something that comes up quite often. 
I'm aware that we are probably going to transition through biofuels, but that also the rest of the world is probably going to be walking that same path as well. How are we covered on the input side as far as creating the volumes of biofuels is concerned? So when you say input, I'm assuming you mean um, feedstock. So we know the supply of sustainable feedstock. It is a challenge with the demand across all sectors, since why Shell has set up this department to look at sectors, right? So we are working to improve biofeedstock availability and scale up the supply. But again, it's new. All sectors are looking at it and we are learning as we go. But we do know the important role of advanced biofuels, such as the bio LNG, biomethanol, bio into existing fuel oil, which we used prior to 2020, it provides a reduction in fossil fuels during the transition until these e-fuels become available. And how well did the IMO 2020, how well do you think that's prepared you for for facing this, this current challenge, which is of a much grander scale? I think it's fair to say. Yes. When I think about IMO 2020, we use partnerships there. So this concept of customer back and partnerships, we work with the likes of MSC to show them, you know, how to prepare for IMO 2020. We work with them through that journey to make sure that they had the fuels that they needed, such as the very low sulfur fuel. And we proactively trialed it with them on their vessels before the start date. So we're using some of that insight and learnings that we have. So now we have our technical teams and commercial teams collaborating with our customers to develop these net zero solutions. Now, again, it's much more difficult because some of these streams are not in existence. Some of the supply chains are not there, but we do know through collaborations and partnerships, we would get there together. Again, the industry has come together and understands collaboration is the way forward. I think Sea Trade Maritime News could just be a full-time decarbonization collaboration press release website if it wanted to be. There are plenty out there. I know that some of the bigger ones recently have come from Shell. I read an interview between yourself and I think Bud Dar from MSC, who very much sings a similar tune, and the one I mentioned at the top with CMA CGM. What sort of role have those partnerships played in the journey so far? And are there more places where ship owners and ship operators can help fuel producers going forward through this journey? Yeah, I would say recently I just touched upon MSC. So we had partnerships and CMA. So with our customers, we partnered with them through IMO 2020, and we found that served us both well, and we want to partner through this decarbonization journey. But recently, specifically with the Shell CMA CGM group, we've signed agreements that allow us to work together to ex- accelerate the decarbonization in the marine sector using both our the scales and the brands of our organization to come up with integrated solutions. So it's a multi-year LNG supply agreement is part of it, but there's many more aspects of it. So we're going to supply their 13,000 TEU vessels in the port of Singapore starting the second half of 2023. But we are also looking at how to advance lower carbon fuel development for new and existing fleet. I think when people talk about decarbonization, we lump everything up with new, right? But we also know there's 70,000 plus vessels on the water And although we would love to replace all of them, realistically, they're not, right? So we need to also keep an eye on what are we going to do about this existing fleet with EEXI and CII coming on board? We really need to look at what role does decarbonization play with them? And that's where energy efficiency technologies, right, come in play as well as the biofuels come in play. So what we're looking at is 
advancing the lower carbon marine fuels, such as the biofuels, the e-methanes, the LNGs, the bio and e-methanols. We're looking at what works for the new vessels versus the existing vessels. We're looking at innovative technical solutions, which includes LNG and hydrogen blending to bring down that methane slip abatement technologies, fuel cell technology development. Some of the other things we're looking at is not just one sector. We're also with CMA, CGM also has aviation and they have Seaver trucking logistics. So I have a counterpart in those sectors and we're coming together talking about things we probably never would have before. And what we're finding is that there's a lot of synergies between these sectors and having customers such as CMA, CGM really allows us to have a different type of conversation. And when we do find these solutions, our goal is to provide this joint advocacy for net zero emission policies, right? And so it's not only with ship owners, we have these. We also have Shell, Coonsberg, and Gaslog successfully collaborated on the trial of JAWS, the system that I talked about just at water system software on our LNG carrier methane, Julia Louise. So it generated substantial average energy savings of about 5% when its recommendations were followed by the captain. So as a result of this trial, Shell has signed a five-year contract for the installation of its JAWS software on board 45 of our LNG chartered carriers. So when you ask, what would we like to see? So we think that ship owners and operators can help this journey just by starting your decarbonization journey now. Let's not wait for perfect. Let's start now with viable solutions. And if you're looking for a partner, then please consider Shell as your partner of choice. Again, we touched that CMA CGM deal. I just thought I'd pick out something from when I wrote up the story a few weeks back now, talking about collaboration. I think the fuel supplier, Fuel LNG, is itself a joint venture between Shell Singapore and Keppel O&M. So it's like layers upon layers of collaborations and joint ventures and knowledge sharing. Just finally, to touch on a question that comes up quite often. We're often seen in the maritime industry as being quite slow when it comes to adopting new technologies and and developing. We're quite seen as quite old fashioned, I think. Is there any room for that? Do you think that is still true? You know, I just talked about some of the technologies that we're seeing, right? And we know technologies are being used in the maritime industry today, right? And we talked about the JAWS, we talked about ALS, the optimization. So these technologies are there But the question is, can we use them more? And the answer is definitely yes. Yes, there is opportunity to use them more. And I think that is where the partnership comes into play. If ship owners are not using them, they may not truly understand the benefit of it, right? They may only be looking at, I have to come up with this cost. But if you partner with someone like Shell who has the data and and information to allow you to see, yeah, you have this upfront cost, but this is your return on investment. This is where it's going to hit, right? You don't just look at the fuel, look at your maintenance, look across the entire efficiency of the vessel. And that is why you want to partner with likes of Shell, because this is what we have teams of people to do. We have our shipping and maritime part of our business, and this is all that they do, right? So when you have a partner such as a Shell with all these different expertise, That's what the partnership brings. But the ship owner also brings our understanding 
of the challenges that they face, right? So we can go and address those solutions together. So definitely technology will play a significant role and there is definitely room to permeate the market more with technology. Hopefully that's something that we've learned over the past few years, especially through digital technologies, is that Yes, there might be a cost up front, but actually the return on investment comes quite quickly and all it takes is a spike in fuel costs and it comes in even more quickly than that. A final point, one thing we've touched on as we go through this is is aviation and road. Mm-hmm. I don't think it really occurred to me before that as the zero carbon future comes closer, we might find that the fuels that we're using are actually much closer to those segments than they have been before. I mean, the kind of distillates we use are really of no <laughs> no interest to aviation whatsoever or, or nor to the road sector. Um, so I suspect that as time goes on, you'll be working even more closely with your colleagues in the road aviation. Yeah. So we work with our colleagues as a fuel supplier, right? There are commonalities in the processing. So as we learn more about the e-fuels, there may be commonalities in that, right? We Right now, we see definitely commonalities in the bio, but the feedstocks are not in scale. And so trying to bring that on and seeing which industry is going to pay for it is going to pull it, right? And we know shipping, we're driven by lower cost, right, to connect the world. And so that's why options are positive during the transition until we can get the scales. Shipping goes into so many ports. That's why we said one thing is clear. There is no solution that's going to replace fuel oil or distillates no time soon. So we need to look at the options, look at the routes the ships are on, right? And this is why we have the sectors coming together, because if you have multiple sectors, it can reduce down the investment cost. But the issue is, do we have the supply? And we're still looking at that to meet all the demands across all those sectors through the transition. At some point, we will have this scale over time, but it's going to take time. And yes, we we always connect with our counterparts because there are some things called swing cuts, et cetera, when you're running the refinery. But that comes with optimization, exactly like you just said, Gary. You know, we learned in shipping when you operate it, we're very intelligent people. The market is very intelligent. We do optimize over time. When we looked at methane slip when we first came out, right, we are now increasing it. Every year we learn more and more. And I always tell my teams, I say, guys, the cars we drive today is the same design from the 1920s. Only thing that happened is it optimized over time. So once you build it, we will come together. We will optimize and learn together over time. And so I would say, let's just get started on this journey, because once we get started, it may not be perfect, but it's viable. And we will optimize and learn over time to decarbonize our industry. Excellent. I think that's a great point to end on. Melissa, thanks very much for your time. Well, thank you, Gary. It's been a great discussion. Look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you, Melissa, for appearing on the Maritime Podcast. 